0: Oh, the church
1: you right.
2: friends. It is so wonderful that we can be together this morning to worship the living God. Thank you for joining us here at San Marino Community Church in Worship. We are so pleased that you are here. We want to direct your attention over to that live chat where our own Bong Bringus is there to greet you today. Make sure that you say hi to Bong. Find someone else that you can say hi to and check in. Let us know how your weekend is going. We want to know that you're worshiping with us. If you're not worshiping live at 10 o'clock, in particular, we we want to make sure that we can connect with you. So, whether you are live at 10 o'clock on Sunday or whether you're worshiping at another time during the week, we would love for you to direct your device and aim it toward this QR code. That you would fill out that form that pops up with that QR code. Let us know your name where you're worshiping from, and particularly if you have any prayer requests that you would like for us to join you on in praying during this season. Friends, we are so blessed to have this opportunity set apart from the rest of the week and from whatever else is going on in our lives. We are blessed to have this opportunity to turn our undivided attention to God, and knowing that God is eager to meet us, to see us, to embrace us, and to shower love upon us. Friends, please, whatever you carry with you this week, lay it out in front of the God who has called you here, not by accident, but on purpose. Friends, together, let us worship God.
0: Acknowledge this morning um, that your ways are higher than our ways. There is so much in our world right now that we do not understand, and we cannot see a clear path forward. We don't know the right decisions to make in situation A through Z, um, but you are high above all of that, and you have a view that we cannot even comprehend. So help us this morning to trust you and to look to you Um, as we continue in worship this morning and centering our lives on you. Amen. Amen.
2: If you have children who are worshiping with you today, we uh, encourage you to take a moment and send them out to join Miss Natalie and Pastor Becca for communion. And uh, before we do that, maybe just hold on to them for a second. And... uh, Check out some advice that we have from some kids ahead of this election week.
0: My advice to the next president of the United States is to support the homeless and give them shelter. Since we
2: don't have a lot of community centers, we could build some more community centers so that kids
0: and teenagers can go to a community center. My advice for the president is to remember the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. To make happiness and joy through the world. And make America a peaceful and nonviolent place. My advice for the president is that it's going to be hard. And I don't know what you do to have fun, but you should do that every day. Be sure to eat ice cream every day. I, I think the next president should donate money to charities or organizations or, or help the community by creating more jobs. My advice for the next president of the United States of America is to get rid of homework. Get rid of homework. Yeah. My advice for the next president is to respect everyone, no matter their color or gender. Keep guns off the streets so loved ones don't get hurt, and to make all the gun laws strict, and keep guns from teenagers and in the neighborhoods. Remember that being nice is better than being mean. My advice is to listen to us kids, because if we ruled the world, nobody would be homeless and hungry, and there would be less crime. and everyone could live in harmony. No there, would be no, there would also be no bank robberies too. That's my advice.
2: From the mouths of babes, my friends, it is difficult in this season that can threaten to divide us, but may we continue to be united on the values that we know we are called to uphold as Christians. Today, we are continuing in our sermon series, looking through the book of Matthew and continuing to consider how God is calling us not only to survive during this season, but to thrive during this season. And so we have just come through this time where Jesus has been in an incredible amount of conflict with the Pharisees, Herodians, the chief chief priests of the temple, the scribes, legal experts. He's just come through this time. They have just decided that they are going to stop arguing with him in public. And this is how Jesus follows up that silence. He says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students. And to call no one your father on earth, for you have one Father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, as we approach this scripture, please join me in praying for God's wisdom and intercession. Holy God, we pray. That you will speak to our hearts and not just to our minds. That you will speak to the way that we live and not just the way we talk. That we will heed your truth, not only when it is easy, but particularly when it is difficult. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've mentioned it before, but my parents, they live in Laverne, about 30 minutes east of here. And every time that I drive to visit them, I exit the freeway at Foothill. It's not the closest exit to my parents' house, the closest exit to my parents' house is Fruit Street. If we're tracking the traffic through Google to make sure that we're not running into a major traffic jam, Google gives us directions to exit Fruit Street. If my husband is driving us to my parents' house, we exit. Fruit Street. If my parents are driving us to my parents' house, they exit Fruit Street. But even though I know that Fruit Street is the closer easier, faster way to my parents' house. It has far less stop stop lights and stop signs, less turns, less pedestrians. It's the better way for us to get to see my family quicker and to arrive less stressed, even though I know all of that. I still exit at Foothill because when I moved away from Laverne over 20 years ago, the freeway ended at Foothill and there was no other option to go. Now, more than 20 years later, even though there is a clearer, easier path, I still take that old, familiar way. Something in me still believes that my way is better, maybe even the only way. Even though an objectively better option exists now that had never existed before. Friends, I wonder if you have any tradition or habit habits or pattern of thinking that you repeat even though you know that there is a better way. Maybe you stick with the way you've always done it simply because it's the way that you've always done it. Or maybe you feel like there's more meaning in your way than there would be in a new way. Maybe you have really good memories associated with the way that you have always done it. And you like reliving the feelings that those memories give you. Maybe you like the identity that you have from thinking a particular way or acting a particular way. Friends, for whatever reason we might do it, I want you to ask along with me, do you have some way that you repeat yourself over and over in life, a way of thinking or a way of doing, because the way that you do it means more to you than what a new way might offer you. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we keep particular habits or traditions because it makes us feel superior to the people who are around us. Perhaps we feel so confident in the way that we do something that we have no qualms about telling people about how our unique right way is so much better and how anyone else's way is completely wrong. They should absolutely do things the way we do. When I was in seminary, I had this friend, her name was Robin. We lived on the same floor and Robin had very strong feelings about the way that someone would take from a cheese plate. She would lecture us about how terrible it was when someone would cut horizontally across the brie, leaving the fuzzy rind of the brie all by itself at the end. She would say, how selfish, what a waste. Anybody who would do that doesn't have any class. I have to tell you that as a seminarian, it's not like cheese plates were really central to our diet. It's not like we ate them ever let alone all the time. So I have no idea how often, why this subject came up as often as it did. But all of us who lived on Robin's floor quickly figured out what we would do if we ever found ourselves in the same room with Robin and a cheese plate. I wonder, have you ever felt like your unique particular way of looking at something, of thinking about something, or doing something, if you ever felt that it was just objectively better to the point where you were going to put energy behind holding other people to your personal preferential standard? I think that we all have. And I think that it's this combination between ingrained habit and ingrained superiority that Jesus is pointing out in regard to the Pharisees. It's not that the Pharisees are wrong in what they teach. And that's important to note because in verse 3, Jesus goes out of his way to tell the crowds that the Pharisees are right in their teaching. And Jesus tells the people that they should do what the Pharisees say. It's just that they shouldn't do what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees' content is fine. It was just the Pharisees', con- t- uh, the Pharisees conduct that was lousy. Their conduct was lousy because the Pharisees had enacted a web of oral rules and traditions that made the practice of being faithful difficult. And the Pharisees came to value and honor their own rules and traditions more than they came to honor the law that those traditions were built around. I want to explain this, so give me a little bit of leeway here. The Pharisees truly were experts in the law of Moses. And the law of Moses had been given to the Israelites to draw humanity and God back together again. The law was the rules that were given to Moses by God that were meant to be consumed by the people with the purpose of closing that space that had started to grow between all of creation and God when sin entered into the world. The law is God's gift of grace to the people. Over time, the religious leaders began to add these oral traditions around the law of Moses, sort of as preliminary safeguards Against breaking the law. Sort of like those velvet ropes that you come up against when you go to a museum that surrounds prefe- pre- precious artifacts. They keep the crowd at enough of a distance that there is absolutely no way that someone can come close to breaking that precious thing that's being protected. We have seen examples of this kind of thinking of added oral tradition around rules or laws in different parts of our society in recent decades. So I'm gonna give you an example. It's, I want us to take a societal rule that people have held for generations in one form or another, though it changes places at certain times or whatever. There's always been a societal rule that, children should, that adults should not have children outside of marriage. And so that's been present in our society one way or another for ages. Pretty soon, in some circles, extra rules started to pop up around that particular rule. So you're not supposed to have a child outside of marriage, so then it's best that you not have sex outside of marriage. Which means that it's probably best that you don't dance either, because If you dance, you might be tempted to have sex, which might give you a child outside of marriage, which probably means that you shouldn't listen to upbeat music that makes you want to dance. Because if you listen to the upbeat music, then you'll be tempted to dance, which you'll be tempted to have sex, which you'll be tempted to have a child outside of marriage. So the rule is that you do not listen to upbeat music so that you don't have children outside of marriage. There is an added safeguard around the original rule that adds a velvet rope between us and the law of God. And with every added safeguard, there's another rope. And before long, we are so far back away from the law that we can't quite see what the actual law was to begin with. As time passes, the rule changes, and no one really remembers how that rule got to be there anyway. And meanwhile, that initial grace of God given to us in the law is lost. Friends, that's what Jesus saw happening at the hands of the Pharisees. That is why Jesus was upset with them because he saw how the Pharisees were stringing velvet rope after velvet rope. And the Pharisees had come to value these velvet ropes more than they had come to value the actual law itself. They had come to cherish their habits instead of cherishing God. The message phrases Jesus' words in verses 4 to 7 of our scripture in this way, saying this. Instead, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, the Pharisees package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads, and they don't even think about lifting a finger to help you. Jesus is pointing out that the content of what the Pharisees are teaching about the law is true, but their conduct in enacting all of these velvet ropes around the law meant that they themselves were not close enough to God in order to accept the law as grace. As Peterson phrases it in verse 3, he says, "...the Pharisees talk a good line." but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It is all spit and polish veneer. Friends, I really don't think that the Pharisees were bad people, and I really don't think that Jesus hated the Pharisees at all. I think that Jesus pitied the Pharisees, felt woe, for the Pharisees because humanity wasn't created to experience God from behind a velvet rope. Not even the Pharisees. The Pharisees felt so confident, so superior for having it all figured out, for having enacted all of these oral rules and traditions that would keep their community at a safe distance from breaking God's law. They were proud of it, and they loved how people would look at them with a sense of gratitude and awe, always wanting their approval, always wanting their assurances that they, the people, were doing this faith thing right. As the scripture says, the Pharisees loved to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery. I think, friends, that the Pharisees set up all of these ropes and safeguards around the law out of good intentions. I think they wanted to help people do things right. But in all of their self-satisfaction, they couldn't or they wouldn't see how all of these extra regulations were having the opposite effect on their friends and their neighbors and their family of faith. Rather than keeping their community safer, they were putting a distance between the people and their God. And it didn't matter that the Pharisees knew all of the right content because their conduct was causing a major detrimental effect on the relationship between the people and God. If you don't hear me say anything else today, then I want you to hear me say this. No one was ever created to live at a distance from God. Not you, not me, Not the person that's living in the mansion at the top of the hill. Not the person who's living in a tent under the freeway. Not Republicans, not Democrats, not progressives, not conservatives. No one was created to live at a distance from the living God. Which means that as Christians, we must ask ourselves an important question. Do we have any personal rules or preferences or habits or traditions that we expect ourselves or others to follow in order to get close to God's presence, in order to pave a way between God and us? Do we have any habits of thinking that cause us to sort of dance around God and negotiate? Do we have any habits of thinking that prevent us from just sitting peacefully in the presence of God? When my goal is to visit my parents and enjoy my time with them, it really doesn't make any sense for me to take the route that forces me to take a hairpin turn and wait at five stoplights and three stop signs, and to show up a little bit later than I would like to, and a little bit more stressed than I would like to. When the goal is to spend time with my parents, that route just doesn't make sense. It's the same way with Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the stress-free route. When the goal is to get ourselves into God's presence, Jesus is the only path. And there are no ropes that we can put between us and Jesus. There is no way that we can box Jesus off so that no one can touch him. If we do, we are missing the point. Just as the law was given to the people to be handled and addressed by the people, so Jesus has been given to us as the people to be in relationship with us, to close the gap between us and God. Friends, I am really hoping and really, really wanting us here at San Marino Community Church to be the people who actively look for any ropes that have been set up between God and humanity. I want us to be the people who look for those ropes and then actively go and take them down. I think that it is so important for us to be able to reflect and see how have we made it difficult for us to get into God's path and then to look and see Have we unwittingly, maybe out of good intentions, put little ropes and extra traditions around God that are keeping others from getting into God's way, that are holding others at a distance? Are we unwittingly holding our children and our youth and our neighbors at a distance from God? I really really want us to be the people who actively look for those ropes and take them down. Who choose to honor the presence of God and the values of God and the grace of God more than we value and honor our own traditions and our own habits and our own way of thinking. That is what God did when God sent Jesus here. God sent Jesus to this table to close that gap. And that is why every single month we gather at our tables and we recognize that we have been invited. That we didn't earn our way here. There were no velvet ropes that led us here. We didn't have to unlock anything to get here. We were invited to this table not because of anything that we did or any way that we thought. Not because of us at all. We were invited at this table because of who Jesus is. As we come to this table today, friends, and as you prepare with us at home, I invite you to join me as we pray. God, we are grateful that you have not allowed anything to come in the way between you and us. We are so grateful, God, that you continually have sought us. When we have put up boundaries, you have torn them down. When we have run away, you have come to find us. When we prefer the darkness, you have shown a light. God, we are so grateful that you have pursued us when we have fled from you. As we come to this table today, God, we pray that you will please open our hearts and transform us to embody that extraordinary presence of your spirit of reconciliation. We ask that you will do that in the same way that you take this bread and this juice and you set it apart, a mysterious symbol of your presence here with us, here around us, here in us. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus Christ sat with all of his favorite people. Some of those people were faithful to him and some of those people were treacherous. But after dinner, after giving thanks for the bread and after breaking it, He said to all of them, this is my body, broken for you, every time you eat, remember me. And he gave it to the faithful and the treacherous alike.
3: And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death and my resurrection until I come again. Friends, these are the gifts of God. Take and drink. We come to this table together because it is a place that we can gather. And this table is cozy and small because it does not divide us, but yet it unites us. Let us go to God in prayer as we use the familiar format of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, you made us all equally in your image as your children who art in heaven, actually in and through everything, in neonatal units and gel cells, luxury high-rise apartments, in the halls in which our politicians walk, and through the screens through which we have school or board meetings. Hallowed be your name. An honor we have given you so that we do not put you second. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, right now we beg you to bring more than just a small measure of heaven to this earth. Because if you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of something that we can't get ourselves out of. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the gift of enoughness to our feeling of scarcity be generosity because we know it's from you that we receive everything and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us remind us how much you've forgiven us and how warmly and completely you love us help us to also give that grace to those who have harmed us hurt us or put barriers between us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil forgive us when we hate what you love and hate who you love deliver us from the personal evil of individuals and the collective evil of unjust systems and structures for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yeah sure. We are so grateful for the 155 people in our congregation who have already submitted their estimates of giving for the 2021 year coming up ahead. If you have not had a chance to submit your estimates of giving quite yet, there is still plenty of time. We are utterly thankful for your incredible generosity, and we are overwhelmed with the plans for financial peace in our congregation and the plans that we can make for the future. Right now we have a video from Reverend Von Lohr and Reverend O'Grady to submit their thanks to you.
1: Hello, San Marino Community Church. Our stewardship season is coming to an end, and to those of you who have submitted an estimate of giving, thank you. Your giving is so important, especially in this season. When you submit an estimate of giving, it helps us anticipate our financial landscape so that we can plan strategically and ensure that we're the best possible stewards of our resources.
2: You participate in building a strong and steady foundation so that we are prepared for any challenges that come our way. This year certainly taught us this to a new degree, but your faithfulness allowed us to rise together, adapting to embrace new opportunities and allowing us to remain connected despite the challenges we faced.
1: If you haven't yet submitted an estimate of giving, it's not too late. Visit smccpby.com, give, or send in your estimate of giving pledge and join us in preparing for all of the exciting growth that awaits us.
2: Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your faithful stewardship and for investing in this community that gives so much to each and every one of us.
3: Friends, what we do here goes well beyond the four walls that we have before us. And it is so meaningful. And we've heard many, many stories of it. We have three ways to give here at San Marino Community Church. And we love for you to take part in one of them to help breathe way for the future. One of them is through Venmo. Also, you can write a check to our church. And in addition to that, you can always go online to smccpby.com. And you can submit your estimate of giving there or you can submit your uh, giving for today. If you like what you heard today in the sermon, you can sign up for the Monday morning email where every Monday morning you will get an email into your inbox where you can not only listen to the podcast yourself again and get a few more nuggets from today's sermon, or you can also submit that to another friend. It's very easily forable. If you liked all of the music from this morning, did you know that you can get it more? You can also get more all week long. We have a Spotify playlist and that Spotify playlist you can just search for on the app Spotify and you can say SMCC Contemporary. It'll give you a whole list of songs that are updated regularly and it's a way for you to have a worshipful atmosphere wherever you are. Friends, this year has been a hard year And maybe you've had hard years in the past. We're celebrating our service of remembrance next week on November the 8th. And we'd love for you to not only join us, but also if you have names to submit for someone or something you feel that has been lost in your life, go ahead and register that you are going to be a part of it and that you have a name or a thing that you would like to submit.
2: We're so thankful for you to be with us today. Friends, you were not created to experience God at a distance. And neither was anybody else. Even though we at times have had good intentions, trying to build up practices or patterns of traditions that are meant to bring us closer to God, sometimes those things have created more distance than they have created intimacy. Friends, you were not created to be distant from God. And neither was anybody else. So commit with me this week to keep your eyes out for those velvet ropes that are holding people back from engaging God, for the velvet rope that you might be standing behind. And then join me in tearing it down. In the words of Paul to Timothy, keep your head about you in every situation, endure hardship, be the good news to every person you meet, and carry that out as your ministry fully. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people say together, amen.
0: All right, church family, I don't know a single soul who is not at least a little bit anxious about the election that's coming up in two days, but we have to remember, friends, that our hope doesn't come from our elected leaders, and it never has. That doesn't mean we get to check out or disengage from the community and the country where God has put us, so go vote in person or by Dropbox if you haven't already, but we have to remember, above all else, that no one person— or outcome can either save us or destroy us and we are aching for the restoration of our hearts and our country and our world and as we do we have to look to Jesus first and foremost and stand together as God's body and God's family united by the God we love and as we pray lord on earth as it is in heaven and we are going to sing a song that that really longs for that and it's called see the day this is by Liz Vice. I
1: wanna see the day when justice rolls like a mighty river floods out of control may that day be today when together of shape Strong nothing worth more that will live Sweet.